Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are your people. We thank you that, like the church in Corinth, we are those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are those who have been called to be saints together with those from every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus. Father, you know what we have been through for the past week or even the last few hours this morning. Please help us, Father, by your Spirit. Calm us down. Help us to focus on you, listening to you speaking to us today. For we rely on you, Lord. We rely on every word that comes from your mouth. So please give us hearts to listen to obey what we'll hear today, and that your church may be built up, and that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 5 today. So if you keep your Bible open to whichever that page is, if someone can help me, that will be very helpful. Okay? Let's begin by listening to Paul again that has been read to us from the New Testament reading. Paul says, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Deliver this man to Satan. Get rid of the old leaven. I'm writing to you not to associate, not even to eat with such a one. Purge the evil person from among you. What's happening? Was Paul just having a bad apostolic day at work? Monday blues? Monopause? What do you think? Why was Paul so edgy? He seems to be a little bit overreacting, isn't he? And a little bit extreme. How should we understand Paul? Well, the key to understanding Paul and the passage that we have today is this question. Who are you? If you're Malaysian, you siapa? If I ask, who are you? What would you say? Probably something like, I'm Stephen Lee. I'm a programmer. If I ask, who are you? Who are you guys? What would you say? Probably, we are smack one. We are a mixed bunch who love to eat every week after service. Who are you is a very practical question. For it shapes who you are and it determines what you do and how you behave. Individually as well as corporately. Let's ask again. Who are you? You may say, I'm a plumber. I fix kitchens and toilets. I'm a welcomer. I write your name, I stick them on you. That's what I do. Who are you? I'm Manchester. We are Manchester United. We win trophies. We are Apple. We sue. No, I mean, we... I take that back. I mean, we innovate. Your understanding of who you are shape what you do and how you behave. 
individually as well as corporately. At the heart of today's passage, and in fact, at the heart of 1 Corinthians, is this simple question. Who are you, Corinthians? And what is your understanding of who you are as a church? For that shapes what you do and how you behave. So keep this in mind as we look through the passage together today. Let's begin with point one. Point one. What was the situation in the Corinthian church? And why was it such a big deal for Paul? Verse 1, if you read with me. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Basically, Paul heard a report that was circulating publicly in Corinth. Someone in the church had been sleeping with his stepmother. Something even those outside the church would regard as wrong and would not tolerate. But notice that, although this sinning man was what triggered Paul to address the church, he was not Paul's main target. Rather, it was the rest of the church that Paul is concerned about. It was the fact that there was a sinning man, and yet, and yet, the rest of the congregation remained arrogant. Not that they were proud about the sinning man, but rather they are proud about themselves in spite of having such an immorality in their midst. It didn't seem to bother them at all. And that was Paul's issue. Paul reckoned that they should be mourning. That is, they should be in great sorrow. They should be on their knees and praying and repenting. But the question is, why? Why should the rest of the church be bothered? Why should they be the ones who are mourning and repenting? It wasn't them who slept with the stepmother. It was just that man. Shouldn't Paul be picking the fight with that sinning man? Paul seems to be barking at the wrong tree here. Why was the whole church implicated by this one man's sin? Well, if you're asking these questions, it could mean two things. Firstly, it could reflect that you have not understood who the Corinthians were as a church. And perhaps you have not understood who you are as a church. Today we live in a very strong individualistic age. It is not surprising that the wisdom of the world, which celebrates the self, has sipped in to shape our Christian worldview. Unlike us, the Apostle Paul viewed the Corinthian Christians corporately, as a whole. Who are you, Corinthians? You are one. When one of you sin, everyone mourns. When one of you sin, you as an individual don't gossip and despise and enjoy. No, you mourn. You feel the shame. You feel the guilt. Why? Because you are one. His shame is your shame. His guilt is your guilt corporately. As God's church, 
you stand or you fall together. So smack one, excuse the pun, are you one? Can you say we are we? We. Are you able to say that? Or is your brand of Christianity me, myself, and Jesus? And the Holy Spirit. And God the Father. Secondly, if you have these questions, it could reflect that, like the Corinthians, you are desensitized to sin. The stench of sin is right under your nose and you can't smell it. Because you have grown comfortable to the smell. What's the big deal? He's just sleeping with his stepmother. If that's you, be very concerned. For that makes you a boiling frog. Have you heard of the boiling frog? Put a frog in a pot of cold water. Children, ask your parents before you do this. Put a frog in a pot of cold, comfortable water. Start heating the pot over low fire. Gradually increase the heat. The Chinese among us, you get a frog soon. Without even the frog even trying to jump out of the pot. You will not try. But if you throw a live frog into a boiling water, the frog will jump out straight away. Our security against sin lies in us being shocked by sin. Are you still shocked by sin? If not, you are losing sight of the holiness of God. You are drowning in the worldly wisdom and you have no idea that you are drowning. When you no longer smell sin, you will no longer need the cross. So, do not underestimate the power of desensitization. It is slow, but it's thoroughly blinding. Just look at the Corinthians. It is actually reported that there is, sexually, there is sexual immorality among them, of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans, for a man is father's wife. And yet, they were arrogant. They did not even mourn. They were completely desensitized. Our security against sin lies in our being shocked at it. If you don't call sin, sin, whenever you see a sin, no matter how small that sin is, sin will one day no longer be sin. Does that make sense? If you don't call sin, sin, whenever you see sin, one day, sin will no longer be sin. So, that was the Corinthian situation. Now, what was Paul's instruction in response to this situation? We see that in verse 2. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. The instruction is very simple. He can't be more direct, more clear, and more swift. But again, the question is, why? Why such a drastic measure? In the following verses, we will see three reasons. First reason on point two, verse three. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. 
and as thief present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Basically, Paul is saying, though I'm not there with you in Corinth, through this letter that I'm writing, I'm conveying to you my apostolic conclusion on this matter. So the first reason why they should remove this man from among them is simply because the apostle said so. Because Paul said so. That's why they have to remove him. Well, do you have a problem with that? With such a logic. Do it because the apostle said so. Perhaps for some of us, or in fact many of us, we are concerned. And we are rightly so concerned. Because of our bad church experiences in the past. For there is great potential, isn't there, for church abuse with such a logic. The pastor says, I say so, so you obey. But notice that that is not what is happening in 1 Corinthians 5. In 1 Corinthians 5, it is special apostolic authority we are talking about. Paul, as an apostle, possesses such authority to issue commands, but the authority is anchored in his special relation to Jesus. So any church authority today, no matter how anointed you think your pastor is, he does not share the same apostolic authority as Paul. Church authority must be grounded in apostolic teaching, the word of Christ. Well, for many of us, we are concerned with this Paul said so idea because, like the Corinthians, we are naturally anti-authority, regardless of what authority, mother, father, everywhere. If that's you, you have not understood and you have not experienced the biblically grounded, loving rule of Christ by his word for his church. Listen to Paul in chapter 4, verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. That wasn't Paul's aim. But to admonish you as beloved children. Authority under God that we experience as his church is loving authority. Reason number two from verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. First of all, notice that delivering this man to Satan, it is done for the sake, for the good of the sinning man. It is done with the anticipated result that he may be restored. It says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. When the church removes the sinning man from among them, when they exclude him from the community of faith, they are effectively turning him back to the Satan's realm. They are effectively turning him back to Satan's realm. For he is put out of the edifying and caring environment of the church where God is at work. The man is now under Satan's fear. And how does that destroy his sinful flesh and hence save his spirit? 
Well, this man is probably deluded in his thinking that it is okay to deliberately, continuously disobey God. So by putting him out of the church, it is a clear signal that has been sent to him that sin is serious, that it is not okay. It is so serious that his brothers and sisters take the drastic steps of distancing themselves from him. And that drastic measure, by God's grace, may shock him and cause him to reflect and to be ashamed of his sin and repent and be restored to the church. Secondly, notice the corporate nature of Paul's instruction. Paul wants church discipline to be carried out when they are assembled. It is a body of believers who is doing it. They are to be corporately involved in caring for this sinning man. Corporately take the responsibility of restoring this man. Reason 3 from verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. What Paul is doing here is comparing the church with a lump of bread. I don't know much about making bread, but let me read to you about leaven and bread. Leaven is a little portion of the previous week's batch of dough which had been allowed to ferment, to ferment. When added to the next batch, this leaven will make the bread rise. It carries dough with it a slight risk of infection, especially if the process was left to go on indefinitely without starting afresh with a completely new batch. Paul is basically saying, unchecked sin is like the little leaven. It will eventually spread through the hole and changes it. Because the church is one, as we have seen already, if one part becomes moldy, the whole can render worthless in a matter of time, just like a piece of bread. So, brothers and sisters, again we see, if you are someone who have bought so deeply into the culture of self of our day, and you lack this sense of solidarity and corporate identity as a church, what Paul is saying here, it's very hard to comprehend, not to mention accept. For Paul is basically saying, you are to cleanse out the old leaven to remove the sinning man from among you. Why? For the sake of the whole bread. That is for the sake of the whole church. He's saying, Guys, love the whole, love the church so much that you want to protect the church, that you want to maintain its purity by getting rid of the little leaven that threatens it. So think about it. If you are someone who is so self-focused, who is so individualistic, you will be clueless. You will be completely oblivious to the existence of the whole. You will be thinking, protect? Protect what? The whole bread? The church? What church? What others? 
It's always been me, myself, and Jesus. I know that that man is fermented, uh, fermented, fermented over there, but I'm not infected by his fermentation. I'm okay. Hopefully by now, you should begin to see the strong, repetitive theme of corporate identity that we see in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says, no, it's not cool. Shouldn't you all mourn over this one man's sin? Shouldn't you all come together and restore this one man? Shouldn't you love and protect the whole, keeping it pure? Brothers and sisters, all this points and calls us to mutual accountability in the church. Every member in the church is responsible for the spiritual health of the whole. Because when one sins, everyone feels the shame and the pain. When one sins, it is the responsibility therefore of all to act and to protect the whole. When every member, and every member is responsible to protect the whole, to keep it pure. Mutual accountability, however, would mean members in the church care for one another. They look out for one another. They seek to keep sin out of each other's life. And therefore, out of church life. And for mutual accountability to happen, let me warn you, it's very hard. We must go beyond the shallow relationships that we have, the weekly high and buys. We need to invest time and energy and emotion into each other's lives to know each other better. We need to be open and honest with one another. And all that will put us in a very vulnerable position that we are not very comfortable with. And as you can see, it is very hard to do, isn't it? That is why, as we move on in verse 7, we see why the question, who are you, is so key to this passage. Why is it important for the Corinthians to ask themselves, who are we as a church? Read with me verse 7 again. Cleanse out the old leaven. We have seen that part already, isn't it? It happens many times already. It is the instruction to cleanse out the old leaven, to remove the sinning man from among you, to deliver this man to Satan. So let's push the why question a little bit further. Why? Why should we bother to go through so much to be mutually accountable? Why should we seek to keep the whole pure? What is wrong with just leaving the whole to ferment and decay? Why can't the whole church be changed to be just like this one man? You might say, oh, come on, Kenneth, don't be silly. You are a pastor. You know it better than I do. We are Christians. We can't. But I'm pushing the question further. Why? Why can't we? Well, the answer is in verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven. Why? So that you may be a new lump. Yes, but why bother to be a new lump? Well, 
because this is who you are. Because this is who you are. Cleanse out the old leaven as you really are. Unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That's what Paul says, isn't it? It is going to take time, but the Corinthians need to let this truth sink in, deep into their head. Paul is saying, this is who you really are. Unleavened. Because of Christ, because of Him, our, our Passover lamb has already been sacrificed. You are unleavened. So, they must do the difficult thing of keeping the whole pure, not in order that the whole becomes pure because of the assets. In other words, it is not that the church becomes God's people when we finally get the whole house in order, but rather it is because we are God's people. We have been made pure by Christ's sacrificial blood. So now, and that is why, we are to leave out who we really are. It is trying to explain to a dog why the dog barks. You bark because you are a dog. You meow because you are a cat. You are already a cat. That is why you meow. Not a very good illustration. <laughs> because we are all men. Well, if you have been reading your Old Testament, you will have noticed that the whole of chapter 5 is full of allusions to Deuteronomy. Such allusions are meant to bring us back to remember what God did in the Exodus for Israel. For example, the unleavened bread reminds us of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which commemorates God's rescue of Israel out of Egypt. The reference of the Passover lamb does the same thing. In fact, the entire instruction of purging the evil person from among you is Deuteronomic in nature. Paul is basically importing the whole Exodus and Deuteronomy history into 1 Corinthians 5. That's why in the Old Testament reading that we have for today, we read bits of Deuteronomy. But if you want the full impact, you should read the whole of Deuteronomy when you get home. Paul is basically saying, because of what Christ has achieved for you on the cross, you are like the Israelites, a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession. He rescued you from slavery in Egypt and called you to himself. So why? Why live as though you are not a holy people when you are a holy people. Corinthians, you are God's people. Paul is trying to tell them. And that is why Paul says in verse 8, Let us therefore celebrate the festival that is living out your Christian life, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul is saying, I know malice and evil is still in you. It's in me and it's in us. But it is no longer compatible to who we are now in Christ. 
So in sincerity and in truth, with all honesty, with one another, staring sin in the face, let us help one another to get rid of sin from among us. Shall we? By God's grace and the power of Jesus, He will help us to do that. Because the power, the gospel, has the power to transform. Verses 9 to 13. In these verses, Paul is basically just trying to clarify a misunderstanding from his previous letter. He is basically saying, when he instructed them previously to remove the sinning man from among them, not to associate with them, with him, he was referring to a sinning brother. And that makes sense, doesn't it, in light of what we have just seen? Paul's instruction is simply asking them to keep what is already pure, pure. The church, which has been washed by the blood of lamb, is pure. So keep it pure. Your job is not to go out and purify what's outside, but it's to keep what is already pure, pure. And then in the last verse, verse 13, he ends off by repeating his call. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Purge the evil person from among you. Why? He has explained that already. Let me conclude. Brothers and sisters, let's be honest. Yes, there will be details to be worked out. How purging out the evil looks like in our church, in church discipline. Yes, there will be details to be worked out. How corporate accountability looks like in big congregations or across Samaria. But brothers and sisters, don't miss the punch of God's words today. It is, remember who you are. The sermon title that I've put today is, We Are His People. We Are His People. It is only when we remember that we are not will be, not maybe, but we are already God's people, the people of the Holy God, only then that will shape and that will drive us to do as individuals and as church to love one another and to keep the church pure. We are God's people. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are your people, that we can stand in the midst of a multitude of those from every tribe and every tongue, because we are your people, redeemed by your blood, rescued from death by your love. We thank you that we can stand by grace in your presence, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, and we are your children now, called by your name. So, Father, we humbly bow and we pray. We ask that you will make it clearer and clearer to us each day as we sit under your word, that we, corporately as a church, 
are your people, are your chosen ones. And help us by your Spirit, trusting in the power of transformation through the Gospel, to keep sin out of each other's lives and out of the church lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Lord, I stand in the midst of a multitude.